Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Boundless Gamers podcast. This is episode 32. I'm your host, Mike. And joining me today is my favorite French person on this planet, Jacques. Welcome back, buddy. What's up, everybody? Um, By the way, do you know any French people besides me? Not really, no. <laughs> okay, so it's like a one-horse race right here. <laughs> That's it. I mean, well, there's celebrities, but that doesn't count. I don't know them. I mean, I'm sure I'm cooler than them. Depends who you're going to compare yourself with. Gerard Depardieu. That name doesn't ring a bell for me. Who's that? Yeah, probably nobody remembers who that is. It doesn't matter. I'll let you continue with your intro. All right. So I want to get the social media shit done right now and out of the way. Now, we all know this is Jacques' favorite part of the show. So I decided to just make it slightly longer this week just for you, Jacques. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking of that meme that says Doubt from L.A. Noir. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but continue. It's going to play the piano music in the background. Dun, 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 dun. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Discord, Twitch, and now YouTube by searching at Balance Gamers. Yes, that's right. We now have an official YouTube channel. Head on over to YouTube, type in Balance Gamers, hit that big red subscribe button. And also make sure you hit the notification bell because that will notify you when we post new shit on there. And going forward, we're going to be posting all of our new episodes on the channel. Some other stuff like funny Twitch moments. Or maybe even some video game reviews every once in a blue moon. I believe we have the Halo one up there. Yes, we do. I don't know why I'm doubting myself. I just watched it earlier, so I don't know what the hell I know, about. Mike. What are you talking about? You literally yeah, just I'm in another time it. zone right now. I, I just watched it a few hours ago. I'm like, is it on there? I don't know. Yeah. No, it's, it's fine. I know, man. Everybody's brain is like scrambled these days, so it's understandable. But guys, the best way to find all of our stuff is on our Boundless Gamers link tree page. It has all of the links on there. All the things I just mentioned are on there. So go head on over there and it will send you to the right places. Now, I promise I'm almost done. just want to mention one more quick thing. If you're listening to the show on Spotify, iTunes, or some other podcast streaming service, give us a follow. And by the way, Jacques told me that he will send everybody $500 if you follow everything I just mentioned, so keep that in mind. Oh, did I? Did I say that now? Yeah, you did. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Monopoly money. No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't recall um, <laughs> saying that, but um, yeah, maybe I will do something if people follow us, but it's definitely not going to be um, financially related. Maybe you'll do some Twitch streams, right? Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, mind if I plug the Twitch? Sure. Why not? We're already blowing all this other shit out of the way. Let's Let's get everything done. Yeah, so as some of you probably already know, because you've popped in the Twitch, we do have a Twitch channel right now. And currently, we are streaming Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at roughly around 9 o'clock Eastern. Uh, if By the time you're listening to this, I have done my first official Twitch stream on Monday. And uh, I'm just going to assume that it went very, very well. So um, I'm, I'm glad we got like 50 followers during that stream and everybody <laughs> loved me. And uh, yeah, I'm going to continue to stream. But uh, Indy will be on there Wednesdays and Fridays usually. But we're also going to kind of rotate the schedule every now and then. So uh, 
But yeah, we're trying to make affiliate, so we would appreciate all the follows we can get over there. And Indy, as part of a deal for us getting halfway to affiliate, has agreed to eat Mike's oatmeal abomination, as I like to call it, which yes. is uh, consists of oatmeal, uh, peanut butter, what is it, like j- j- uh, raspberry or strawberry preserves? Strawberry preserve jelly, but Ash told me she bought strawberry blackberry preserve. I'm not sure how that's going to work with the peanut butter, but it still should be good. And a little bit of a little bit of salt, and of course, the uh-huh. most important ingredient is a boiled egg, still warm. Trust me, guys. If any of you are listening and, and you're kind of curious about this recipe, give it a shot. I don't think you're going to regret it. And I think Indy said he might even upload that video to YouTube. So so definitely look forward to that. He is going to eat what I just said. Jacques, did you mention what game you're going to be streaming? Well, it doesn't matter because it'll already have happened by the time this releases. That is true. And one last plug. I would like to plug my friend Brandon's podcast, The Graham Slam Podcast. It's mainly focused around baseball, the uh, Rocky Mountain Vibes, uh, which is in the Colorado area. But he has recently revamped his podcast, and he is doing more of other things, too. Like, he's got a new segment, the Entertainment 10, where he's going to be talking about, you know, movies and such, video games, things uh, entertainment-focused. I think he, he just put up a Scream review. He's also covering AEW and TNA wrestling. So, you know, there's a, there's a little variety in there. And I've known Brandon for, gosh, probably like 20 years now. And he's, he's a great dude, man. He, he's such a hard worker, great family man. So I would recommend go give him a listen and at the very least give him a follow, even if you, you know, the content of his podcast isn't quite up your alley. Just go to his uh, Instagram and Twitter and give him a follow. Do that for me. Do that for your your old pal, Jacques, here. I'd appreciate it. Brandon, one of these days, we're going to get you on this show. I don't know when, but one of these days, I want to hear your thoughts about some of these video games that we like to talk about on here. Oh, for sure. I would love that. And we have to ask him that important question, Jacques. You know, every time a new person comes on the show we have to ask them do you like the star wars sequel trilogy <laughs> i don't know if i've ever asked them that so i don't know the answer to that brandon you got time to think about it <laughs> all right well that's enough of the uh plugging as much as i love uh brandon's podcast but you know we got to move on with the show we're going to jump into what we're playing so jacques what the hell have you been playing the past uh, week or two? Um, a lot. Because <laughs> I haven't been on here in probably about a month. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I've, I've got like four games. We'll see if I can get through these. I think we'll be able to. Uh, first, I am going to talk about Kena, Bridge of Spirits. That's what I'm currently playing right now, amongst many others. Uh, it is very good so far. It, the first thing you notice immediately is how gorgeous this game is. Mm-hmm. Like, it is just one of the best games I've seen this year. It's totally like a Pixar movie, 
or a Disney animated movie. And the the fact that like the developers, Ember Lab, they have a background in animation. So you can see that shine through in every shot. The gameplay itself is not too bad. You know, it's not... I, I'm not finished with the game yet, so I don't know if it gets a little more complicated. But so far, it's fairly simple. You just, you have a staff, and you have your bow and arrow, you know, typical adventure shit. And you have these little rock characters that you can collect that are really cute, that they actually are involved in the the uh, the combat as well. I was really surprised how many follow you around. I was like, oh shit, there's like 40 of them now. <laughs> Oh, I know, man. You, they, the literally cliff. everyone that you collect through the game stays with you, I believe. So it's like you're just going through the game and it looks like you have just a, a, a cult following just surrounding you. Yeah, plus you can put masks on them to kind of customize them and give them their own unique feel. A cool little added feature. Yeah, it is. I've had fun decorating them with little hats and, you know, they have like little mushroom hats or little ribbons and just fun shit you can put on them. So they also can do tasks in battle. Like they can kind of like subdue larger enemies. That's what I've been using them for. And then you can just kind of run up to the enemy and hit them. The, uh, the combat's like, it's, it's not easy, but it's not super challenging so far. I'm sure it probably gets way harder. I don't know if you can comment on the uh, difficulty of the combat. Some of the boss fights later on are a little challenging. And as for the main combat itself, I know in the last episode, I mentioned how it kind of reminds me of Horizon Zero Dawn's combat just a little bit. I don't know if you feel the same way. Uh, no, not really. I, I don't see that. I don't know. The way she swings the staff around, pulls the bow, it just gives me Horizon vibes when I was playing it. Okay, like, yeah, maybe. I can see that part. But it's not like... It's very loosely Horizon in the sense that, like, they have similar weapons, like, they're base weapons, but as far like, it's nowhere near as um, deep as the combat in Horizon. Oh, no, no, no. It just reminded me of it. Yeah, I, I got you. I know what you mean. Like, to me, though, this game feels like the old, like, PS1, PS2 era platformers. Like, you know, Spyro or, you know, games like that, which I actually really enjoy. Uh, it's 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 pretty linear for the most part, too, which I also enjoy because, God, I'm getting tired of these large open world games. It does look like an open world map, but it really isn't. It's very small. It's like, yeah, I don't know what to call it. It's like, it's not even quite wide linear because there are different paths you can take, but it's still pretty linear in the direction that it points you in. The closest thing I would compare it to is the Tomb Raider games. I know those are a little bit bigger, but it has a very similar map feel where it's just big open area. You have a few different areas you can go to, but it's not quite open world. Yeah, I can see that a little bit. So um, there's like two modes on here too. There's performance mode and quality mode like most modern games now. I play on performance mode always because I am a frames per second person over graphics. But to be honest, like even in performance mode, I can't really tell that much difference with the, the graphics, man. The fidelity still looks fucking amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I'm uh, really enjoying it. Uh, I hope to 
finish it. Maybe I'll even have finished it by the time this podcast records. I don't know. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a possibility I'll be talking about this during our Game Awards. Mm. And the next game I've been playing is Ender Lilies. Uh, this is a Metroidvania, Psy 2D Metroidvania. And it is sort of similar to like games like Hollow Knight or Ori, kind of a little bit Ori. Not not quite. I still think Ori's better. Th- this game is really good. I'm enjoying it. The, th- the two things that stand out to me the most is the art design and the music. The the art design is just it's it's so good. It's because like the game itself kind of reminds me of a little bit of Dark Souls, like the story and the aesthetic a little bit. Right. Yeah. The art is just like I can't even describe it. It's just so beautiful. It's, if you've played Hollow Knight, I would say it's kind of similar to that a little bit. And the music is just like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's just very, uh, it's very relaxing and really fits the mood of those types of games. Uh, the combat is not bad. It doesn't blow me away like Ori did. Cause I thought Ori was just, I, the combat is just so smooth in that, in the traversal. It's not quite to that level, but it, it's, it's still serviceable. It's not bad. Like, every boss you beat, you pick up their weapon. Um, You know, typical stuff of that genre. Yeah, so I'm still going through that, and I'm making slow progress. I think I'm on my third boss right now, so I might even play that on stream at some point. Um, So you can look forward to that. Do you think I would like the game? No, I don't think you would, because, like, Ah, you're you're kind of hit or miss with Metroidvanias. Right, yep. This one, for some reason, I think you just not would not get into because you're not typically into like those Dark Souls fantasy kind of games. Yeah, that wouldn't suck me in. But if you love Metroidvanias and, you know, definitely give this a try. It technically came out in January of 2021, so it could be eligible for the Game Awards. I might also be talking about that. I don't know. We'll see. I still haven't finalized my awards yet. But, uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, and then the other two I played during break was Forza Horizon 5, which, my God, man. Beautiful game. Good Lord. Holy shit, that's beautiful. Yeah, this is one of the best-looking games I've ever seen, maybe. And just, like, the size of the world and still maintaining the fidelity that it does really shows off the power of the Series X, but also just how good uh, Playground Games is. Mm-hmm. By the way, Playground Games is doing the new Fable reboot. So That's right. This yeah. just makes me I'm more excited for that. And I, I've never really been a huge Fable fan. Like, I've played... I think we played one of them together. Was it the third one? Yeah, you and me briefly played three together. I beat Fable 2, and I don't think I ever started Fable 1. It's actually in my backlog, so maybe one day I'll get around to it. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, but so back to Forza. It's uh I mean there's not really much to say. It's 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 like an open world car game. I think it's almost like GTA, but with cars. I know GTA has cars, but I mean like only cars. 
No, that totally makes sense. I get what you're saying. Because it's like, yeah, there's just so many activities to go and do around the world. And I, I kind of slowly work through the story a little bit. But to be honest, I don't give a shit about the story in that game. I have fun just literally grabbing my favorite car and just doing burnouts, doing donuts, trying to get the highest skill chains possible. Um, one of my favorite things to do is just pick a supercar that hits like 200 plus miles per hour and just point it in a straight line and just go as fast as I can for as long as I can. <laughs> the sense of speed in this game is outrageous. It's just missing the dual sense. Oh my god, dude. If it had the dual sense, oh, that would put it over the edge. And that's really actually making me more interested in Gran Turismo 7, which comes out this year. I don't even know if I've ever played a Gran Turismo. I have, back on the PlayStation 1, so it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah. It's, now, it, I'm sorry. I Yeah, well, no, I just don't think Gran Turismo can compete with Forza or any of those games in the series at this point, but we'll see. Now, before you mentioned the story, that's got me thinking. Jacques, has there ever been a proper story mode in a racing game like a really good one with a great storyline cutscenes, and all that i have not played a lot of racing games in recent memory i used to be really into them a lot more back when i was more into cars i still am but just you know my tastes change um i i swear wasn't there like a need for speed need for speed the run it sucked i played it I'm talking about a good campaign, and the reason why I mentioned that is maybe that's like the next thing one of these guys can do, Gran Turismo or Forza. Make a really good campaign. Try it. Like, wh- why not? Nobody does it. I think if anybody's going to do it, it's probably going to be something from the Forza series, whether it be Turn 10 or Playground. Now, there is a story in this, and there's cutscenes, but it's just throwaway shit. It's not interesting. You're like, ah, all right, let's get back to the racing. That's the fun shit. I don't care about this. You're not trying hard enough. Exactly, and that's the problem with putting a good story in a racing game because it's just delaying what you really want to do is fucking race. <laughs> so I, that's kind of a huge conundrum. I'm sure some developer might be able to figure out, but I, so far, I don't think anybody really has. Developers have been making racing games for so damn long i mean at some point somebody's got to do it yeah i mean all i can think all the way back to like cruising usa on arcade but yeah no i that's pretty much all i can say about forza i I would say give it a try it's on xbox game pass like all of their exclusives this is definitely up there for probably one of the best xbox exclusives ever i put it above halo infinite This is really crazy for me to say this because I don't play racing games. Like, Jacques, when do I play racing games? Yeah, never. Never. And I love this game. So it's got to be doing something right. I I still think, for me personally, Halo Infinite's better, but I definitely would not argue if you thought Forza Horizon 5 was better. And uh, speaking of Halo Infinite, that's my last game I played over the break. And you have beat it as well, so we can talk about the campaign 
finally, and there will be spoilers, so I, I will give you a warning right now, and I'll put it in the timestamps, but we're going to go full spoilers, so... Good. Spoilers Good. in five, four, three, two, one. All right, Mike, let's talk about this campaign. <laughs> I know you weren't as hot on it as I was. No, no, no. It's kind of interesting because I started off pretty cold on this. Like the first, I don't know, couple hours or so, I was like, eh, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of tired of open world games and all this environment just looks the same, which I still think holds true. That was probably one of my um, complaints about the game is just the, the lack of diversity in the environments and just like the fucking just rocks everywhere, man. You're always running into fucking <laughs> rocks when you're trying to drive. Uh. It's infuriating. But the more the story unfolded and the more I kind of read up on the lore of Halo to kind of remind myself of what's going on. I was like, you know what? This is actually pretty interesting to me. I like this. I think what is Halo's saving grace is its combat. Mm -hmm. It's combat is just so good that it really doesn't even matter about all its other faults because the combat just keeps you coming back. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. When it comes to the multiplayer. Yeah, I agree with that. The combat is what's keeping me there. Well, the combat's the, exactly the same in the campaign, though. Yeah, but I, I didn't like the other shit in the campaign, so I was kind of like, all right, let me just finish this, grab some more achievements, and then, all right, I'm done. We move on to the multiplayer. So what didn't you like about the campaign? It feels like an epilogue. Indy said the exact same thing in his review. Uh, he doesn't like the story either. There's things he likes about the story, but overall he feels, and I feel this way too, that it's like a a series of books. I like comparing it to this. Think of a series of books for a story, and there's like eight books. This game feels like the eighth book, and we didn't get to read the first seven. Sure, you can go online or read other stuff to kind of help you out a little bit, but it's not in the game. There's this big time jump in it, and the shit that happened during the time jump I think was more interesting than what was going on in the main campaign in the game. Because we got a little bit of pieces of it here and there with Cortana. I love the part where they show Cortana talking to um, a human officer on a ship and, and they're like loyal to her and they blow the damn thing up. So that kind of hints that she had a bunch of human followers following her that believed in her cause and all that. I was like, wow, that's really cool and interesting. I want to see more of that. But you only get a kind of little glimpse of it in Infinite. The world's activities and stuff, it, it felt like we've lost things along the way, making it open world. Like in the other Halos, there was these incredible set pieces, these incredible levels. Lots of cool stuff was going on, very cinematic in the gameplay. I'm not talking about the cutscenes, like the gameplay sections were very cinematic. In this, everything just kind of felt the same to me. We're just going to the same areas. You just see the same shit. And it just, I under, and I understand it's a Halo ring, so you're going to see similar shit all over the place. But it feels like we just lost something. It being linear, they were able to do a lot more cool shit. But being stuck in this ring, they just didn't do as much. And another thing that bothers me about the gameplay 
uh, as much as I love the combat, combat's great. I love the grapple shot and all that stuff. They took away the ability for the AIs to drive around by themselves. Like they don't jump into vehicles and take off with you or any of that. Like you got in all the other Halo games. They completely got rid of that. They even got rid of little things like the guys jumping on the uh, the scorpion on the sides. Because I remember like parking this, like, spawning the scorpion, jumping in it, grabbing my phone just to give the guys a quick second to jump on it. And they never did. And I'm like, huh, well, that's weird. Let me move it around. Maybe they're just glitched. But no, they never jump on it. So there's a lot of things they took away because it was open world. And I understand why they did it, because the AIs would not be able to follow you around in that big, massive area, especially with all the rocks Shock was just saying, because you bang into all kinds of shit along the way. So they would be flipping all over, all over the place. <laughs> but it just sucks that we lost that. And it was in all the other Halo games. There's little things like that. It just adds up. Like, I can keep going on and on. There's other stuff about the game that frustrates me. As much as I love the combat and the campaign, I just think that there was decisions that they made that made the series take a few steps back. The thing is, is all of what you said, you're not wrong. I I agree with everything. And yet, I still loved it. it. It's just, for me, just that combat is the key to it like you could tell when you know during development this game had some troubled development that covid certainly did not help a lot of reports of mismanagement within the studio so microsoft brought on joseph staten who worked on the original halo games so he uh he came in kind of wrangled everybody up and i guarantee you his mandate when he came in was like okay we're not going to have everything ready at launch. So we're just going to make gameplay a priority. And they nailed that. So, and I think that is, that was the right decision. Like that is the most important part. You are right about like it lacking some things with the open world, big set pieces. I was getting tired of doing the, the far cry, take down this outpost. And, but to be honest, like even those outposts and things like that were somewhat fun just because of the combat. And um, I, th- I think that's what really got me. Uh, it was like one of my favorite things to do was like load up a Razorback with like five Marines and give, that them, is fun. give them yeah. all like arcane sentinel beams or like uh, the, the tracking rocket launcher where it would like heat sink things. Dude, you would just roll into a base, and it was absolutely absurd. They would just disintegrate everything in the path. It was almost like you were breaking the game. Um, So that was fun, but I was super annoyed by the AI sometimes, the Marines, because like you want them to get in the vehicle, and you're honking your horn, and they just will not get in the vehicle because for whatever is going on in the background of the programming the little circle above their head didn't pop up, so they're not registering that they're a part of your squad now. And yeah, they probably, it would have been cool if they could have driven their own vehicles. It's literally in all the other Halo games. I just want to point that out, guys. Every single other Halo campaign has that feature, even the original game. But, you know, there are some cool moments too, like cinematic cutscenes or set pieces where it's like one in particular I can think of um, where Chief makes it to the top of that uh, spire. Or I don't know if it's 
the spire. It's that um the one where you like you light the four beacons or whatever and then you go to the final one, which is like a huge involved level, and then you get to the top and it's like these these aircrafts are like shooting through the windows and stuff and you have to like jump out the window and um what's his name? The pilot uh Fernando Fernando Esparza, yeah, this pilot you meet, he like has to like as you're falling out of the window of this giant spire, he has to swoop in and like turn the craft a certain way and open up the back door so you'd like fly right in. And I was like, I'm not gonna lie, that that was pretty badass. <laughs> so yeah, and just like, you know, some of the characters I thought were cool, like uh Eshram and Atriox. It's like, yeah, sure, they were a little hammy, but it's Halo. I thought they were cool. I liked the Banished. Jacques, I just thought of something, not to derail you. One of these days, the Boundless Gamer crew should co-op the Halo campaigns. Hmm. I've never... Well, I have played them in co-op before, but that was a long time ago, like on the 360 versions and shit. I wouldn't... Cause I, I went through them not that long ago, and I wouldn't mind going through them again with four people. Ash, Indy, you and me. Yeah, I think the four of us, yeah, me, you, Ash, and Indy could do a four-player, possibly legendary run. I think that would be interesting. No, no, it's way harder on legendary when there's four people because it, because you got to remember, Jacques, it adds more AIs, tons of more AIs. It's actually easier to go through the campaign by yourself on legendary. Okay, well, how about heroic? Yeah, heroic. I would do that. And and me and Ash can just like sit back and let you and Indy just take down all the enemies. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Because you're far better players than we are. Yeah, I, w- I would like to go through those again. But but anyway, I'm sorry. I should go back to Halo Infinite. No, no, man. That was a good idea. I think what we'll do is we'll record a playthrough whenever they drop the co-op in that. And we will post it on YouTube. It'll be a YouTube exclusive. But yeah, so let's see. Halo... What did you think of some of the boss fights? Because I I enjoyed most of them. I really didn't care about any of them except for one. When you're stuck inside that tight little area with the Spartan killer and he's cloaked. Yeah, Jega. Yeah, that I liked. I liked that a lot. It felt like the Predator was hunting me down. It, yeah, it did, dude. I li- it almost turned into like a horror game, like the atmosphere. It's like this red room and this like tight ship, this these quarters, and you're, it's all dark and you're like... And nobody's there. It's like abandoned. And then all of a sudden he just like uncloaks and fucking just attacks you with this crazy red energy sword. That part is terrifying on legendary because he one hits you and you're dead. So you got to be perfect running through that area. You know, what's funny though, Mike is like leading up to that. All I kept hearing by Pete, like I was listening to the spoiler cast before I completed the game. Because I don't really care, man. Like, spoilers, you know what? I've just learned to live with them but uh, and just enjoy the moments for themselves. But anyway, everyone was like, man, yeah, this this Jega fight is like the hardest fight in the game. It's so hard, man. And I got to him, and I beat him in like under a minute on the first try. Which difficulty were you playing on? Okay, granted, I was playing on normal difficulty. Ah, okay. I, I think I just had the right tactics and the right weapons going in. Um, cause what I had is I had a skewer and I also had the thrusters and the, uh, well, I, well, of course I had everything at that point cause it's campaign. So you can switch back and forth. But what my uh, strategy was is I would shoot out the sensor so I could see him at all times. 
I would shoot him with the skewer as he was coming towards me. And then I would reload because that thing takes a minute to reload. So by the time he's coming towards me again, it's reloaded. And then when he would strike me, I would just thrust her to the side out of the way and then shoot him again with the skewer. I fucking destroyed his ass. Took his sweet ass red energy sword, which I used like through the rest of the game. Nice. <laughs> yeah, because my uh, I pretty much just rolled with the BR energy sword combo through the whole game. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty simple, but that's like my play style. You got some long range and some short range weapons. So yeah, I was I was pretty happy with that. Um, the I liked the Eshram fight too. I thought that was fun. Um, pretty I was pretty much just like Spider Maning around the room with the <laughs> grapple shot and just hitting them with heavy weapons and um the the only ability i never really really used was the drop wall yeah that's not that great i just use the environment as cover i don't need that thing yeah exactly it's just a waste yeah because as we know there's fucking a billion rocks all over the place yeah i just i used the other three pretty regularly but especially the grapple shot which um oh my god i love the grapple shot I think that's probably the best addition to the Halo universe. Yeah, I agree 100%. That is one of the best things they added in Halo Infinite. I love using that thing. Yeah, because you're you're literally just like... I made the joke that I was calling this game Spider-Man Infinite because you're just using that thing all the time. Like, I would just shoot it at the ground to propel myself forward constantly. And it's really (laughs) useful for climbing up, like, rock faces and stuff. Yeah. Oh, and then not to mention, like, just... uh, (laughs) Grabbing fusion coils and fucking chucking them at groups of enemies or like grabbing onto an enemy and doing like a reverse scorpion from Mortal Kombat where you just propel yourself towards them and just just punch them. And then if you have it upgraded, it'll like send off that like electrical shock and uh, stun them. So, yeah, I, I use that quite a bit. But yeah, and then the uh, do you want to talk about the ending? <laughs> Um, I'll let you, uh, deliver that. (laughs) So I was not too crazy about the very end where they insinuate that time travel is at play in the Halo universe, which I think Indy was saying to me that they, in some of the books, they had hinted at that before. As you know, Mike, I am just not a fan of time travel in stories. Because I feel it's too often used as a crutch to just, like, explain things away. I don't like it when they shove it into stories. The only time I like time travel shit is when the whole story is about time travel. Like, Back to the Future or Time Machine or stuff like that. Then that's fine. I love that stuff. But, like, if I'm watching Star Wars or something, I don't want a time machine or something to show up at some point. I'm going to be like, no, get that out of here. Yeah, I fully, I fully agree. Totally. Because it's like a deus, deus ex machina, you know, the god of in the, what is that, god in the box or something? Basically, yeah, it's just like, hey, we're just going to like wish this problem away. We've written ourselves into a corner, but that's just going to go away. So it's just, yeah, it's just lazy usually. And, and a lot of times there's just too many paradoxes that don't make sense. They, yeah, I just, I just don't like it when it's shoehorned in. But, you know, we'll see where it goes. I'll, I'll give it a shot for the uh, next Halo. I don't know how long Halo Infinite is going to be around because it seems like they want to have this around for a long time, like maybe a decade. So I think they're probably just going to be adding story content onto this. Yeah, I agree. There was that uh, that leak where uh, 
343 trademarked the name The Endless, like Halo, The Endless. So people are thinking that that's going to be an expansion where they're going to focus on that enemy group, The Endless, that we kind of briefly touched upon in the games. Um, So that would be cool. I'm down with that if they want to drop like an expansion every year or so. I would like more expansions. I'm sure it'll be... I'm not going to assume this, but I wouldn't be surprised if you get it for free if you're an Ultimate member. Like they did with the Gears 5 expansion, uh, Hive Buster. That would be amazing. I I would totally love that. But um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I got to say about the campaign. I, we're still playing the multiplayer like every week because it's just so much damn fun. Yeah. And uh, I, I assume we'll probably be playing that for a long time to come, uh, especially when they uh, <laughs> add more maps and uh, more modes. That would be nice. <laughs> and uh, finally fix Big Team Battle, which it looks like they kind of fixed, but not fully 100%. It's getting there. Yeah, I, I think this game overall, though, th- given the circumstances, I think 343 did a pretty good job because, like I said, they had a lot of problems during the development process. Yeah, it's there's definitely flaws. You know, they they a lot of people are mad about co-op and Forge not being there at launch. Totally understandable. But I'm just, I'm just, you know, I have to work with what we have and this is what we have now. And I think it's pretty good. I still think the game needed another six months, but that's just me. <laughs> oh, it definitely needed another six months, clearly, by, you know, like I just said, co-op and Forge not being there at launch. I think we're going to have to wait till about May or June for that to drop. Whew. But at a certain time, like, you know, they have investors, they have like, there's a lot of the moving parts behind the scenes where they're probably like, look, we've got to get this out by the end of the year because we've already delayed it a full year. But yeah, that's that's it. Mike, uh, you want to move on to what you've been playing? Sure. Why not? I've been playing a lot of Nintendo Switch lately. That's really all I've been playing the past week. Uh, no Xbox, no PlayStation. Getting back to the Switch because it's just been sitting on my shelf for a couple months now and I haven't really touched it. So I've been playing Captain Toad Treasure Tracker. This right now, well, by the time you're listening to this, it won't be anymore. But right now, while we're recording this, you can play it for free. The whole game. It's a free trial. If you're an online member with Nintendo, they're giving their users seven days to play the game. And you can beat the entire game. It's it's not a demo. You're not getting just a sliver of it. They're giving you the whole damn thing. And I think that's awesome. And I encourage them to keep doing that with other games uh but right now i'm almost done with the game i think i'm in the third act and i gotta say i'm really really liking this game when i first saw captain toad back on the wii u i was like "Eh, that doesn't really look interesting to me i didn't really give it a second look but they eventually brought it over to the switch and i'm finally getting around to playing it The best way I can describe this game is it's an isometric maze-style puzzle game. I know that sounds very wordy, but that's really the best way to to describe it. You have to, like, rotate the camera around to reveal other paths you have to take. And by the way, of course, you you play as Toad in the game. The game's called Captain Toad. 
it's his first game too, which is pretty cool because he's never really gotten a game before. Which is crazy because like how long Toad has existed. You play as him and Toadette, I believe that's her name, his girlfriend. The gameplay sections are very unique and it's very, very different. It's not like other Nintendo games I've played. Now, I believe these Captain Toad levels started in Super Mario 3D World. They had a few bonus levels where you can play as Toad. It's such a cool puzzle game. It's not a platformer because you don't jump around or anything. You can't jump at all. So you have to be kind of clever how you go, go around the the, um, the uh, stages. You have to climb up ladders and drop down on enemies and shit like that. Yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say about this right now. But I will say this, guys. When you play the game, pick up as many hidden gems as you can because those are required to progress through the story. Sometimes you'll get a little like roadblock saying, ah, you need 50 of these. You only have 46. Go back and get some more. So those are very important. So make sure you grab those along the way in the levels. There's always three of them in each level. And most of them are pretty easy to find. That's how Sackboy was. And I found it so fucking annoying. Uh, I don't know how it was in Sackboy because I haven't played it yet. Was it easy to find that stuff or was it? Very frustrating. Uh, I mean, no, I mean, there's a lot of them. It's, it's not like they were super difficult, but it's just annoying. Like, oh, you can't proceed past this point unless you have this many of this. I mean, I'd prefer not to be there, but it's there. So you got to deal with it. It definitely prolongs the game a little bit. Because you can beat this game in seven hours. So if you've been playing at the same time as me right now, you can get it done before the week's over. You can definitely get it finished. You're going to give me something for free and I can beat it. I'm going to definitely take advantage of that. So it's really cool that they did that. I'm hoping they do that with the old Kirby game they released on the Switch. Because I really want to play that, but I don't want to spend 50, 60 bucks on it. You are not fucking kidding, dude. The fuck, if it's free, this motherfucker will beat it. Like <laughs> Space Jam is one I can remember. God, that game sucked. There's so many games that you're just like, well, fuck it. It's free. I'm going to download it and play it. <laughs> But yeah, this game sounds like the puzzling aspects of it sound interesting to me. I think I would like that. Are, are the puzzles like hard? Like, what's the difficulty? No, no, it's just, how do I get up here? Well, let me rotate the camera around. Oh, oh, there's the path. Okay, I got to go up here and then rotate the camera a little bit more to reveal a different area where I got to take this path and stuff like that. I know I'm not doing a really good job at explaining it. I, I, I recommend you just watching some gameplay of it, Jacques, and see what you think. Yeah, I will. It also sort of sounds like a litmus test for your puzzle solving abilities, because if yeah. you, if they're if they're too difficult for you, then like you're probably dumber than a ten year old. So that's maybe <laughs> not too good. Maybe you should read some books. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but that's um, well, that's not all I'm playing. There's one other game, but I just started it. Um, I I finally jumped into Bowser's uh, Fury, the DLC for. Super Mario 3D World. And I haven't seen any gameplay of this, you know, before starting it. I didn't watch anything. I've heard people talk about it, mention it in other podcasts, but I never sat down and watched gameplay footage of it. So when I booted it up and then started playing the game and getting into the gameplay sections, I was really shocked because Jacques, it doesn't play like the 3D game. 
have you seen gameplay footage for the main Super Mario 3D World game? Um, like a little bit, not much. Take that little bit you saw. Remember that. Bowser's Fury plays like a typical 3D Mario game. Like the camera's completely different. Like it plays like a Galaxy or a or a Super Mario Odyssey. I was like, "Whoa, what, what? Like this is what this is?" Holy shit, why didn't I play this sooner? Yeah, that sounds better almost. I mean, I I love the 3D world uh camera angles and level designs and stuff, but it's it's literally a different game. Hmm, that's an interesting design choice. Yeah, it's a very interesting design choice. I was shocked by that. Not hating it though because I love games like Odyssey and and the first Galaxy. I still haven't played the second one, so I was really shocked by that. It it is still technically an expansion because it's not that long from what I've heard and there's only so much in there. But if they just had it cooking for a few years, they could have made a full game out of this. Maybe they have something in development like that. You don't know. People think it's Mario Odyssey 2, but we'll see. I'm surprised Nintendo didn't do that because they will look for every possible way to squeeze every last dime out of you. Like like I said, I just started it, so I don't really have much more to add, but I'm sure I'll talk about it again um, next time I'm on. I'll, I'll probably have it beaten. Okay, cool. I guess we can move on to the inventory. Let's see what we got here. Uh, I only have four items this week. That's right. But like I said in the last episode, I'm trying to keep the news items to, to a, like a four or five or six tops. I don't want to do eight, nine, ten anymore. I, that, that was too much. We don't need to talk about everything that happens in the news. Just a few select things that interest us. Yeah, we, we don't need to hear about like a fucking Strauss Zelnick took a hearty shit this morning. I mean, I'd, I'd listen to that. <laughs> but yeah, it just got to be like too long. It took up too much time on the podcast. So we're just shortening it a little bit. All right, well, let's get into it. Number one, Microsoft has officially stopped making Xbox One consoles. Going forward, all resources will be directed to making current gen systems only, the Series X and S. And you know what's interesting, Jacques? I told you about this the other night, but I'll mention it again because we're doing the show. Microsoft quietly stopped making Xbox Ones back in 2020. They didn't come out and say, oh, we're done. We're not producing anymore. They just stopped. And nobody was paying attention because the series was about to launch. Yeah, we all assumed they were going to make more at some point. But when you think about it, Jacques... This was a very smart decision for them because they have the Series S out and it's $299. Why would they make more Xbox One Slims with the disk drive and all that for around the same price? It would actually probably cost them more to do that. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking is like, especially now since the Series S's are pretty widely available, like you can walk into a store and find them. Yeah, I see them all the time at Target. Yeah. And like, you know, if you listen to... um the last episode of this podcast before break, it was uh, what, episode 30. I got one for Ash and Indy. So like, and it was very easy to get. I just ordered it on Amazon and um, yeah, man, they're, they're easy to get. So it's like, why continue to waste, you know, resources on making these older systems when the series S is there, it's affordable. It's, you know, it's new gen, it's 
Yeah, this just makes sense to me. I I think normally it's it it would be a puzzling choice to end the last generation so soon after the new one starting, like we're only a year in. But in this case, I think it makes sense. And to make things clear, they're still going to support the Xbox One because there's a ton of them out there. They're still going to put stuff on there for it. It's just that they're not into making any more Xbox One consoles. I mean, they 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 just don't feel like that's necessary anymore when you have a 299 machine out there now what's interesting shock and this is going to lead into our second news item sony confirmed that ps4 production is still ongoing and they're going to be making 1 million ps4 slims this year now the retail price for the slim shock is 299.99 so i see what sony's doing here they don't have a cheap playstation console on the market right now to match the series s and another thing is horizon and god of war will be on ps4 and they're having a hard time putting ps5s out but i do think this is their answer right now just a temporary answer for the series s they want to have something out there around the same price point yeah, I totally agree. I, it's kind of funny to see like the polar opposite decisions from each company. And I really I think you nailed it. I think this is their answer to the Series S. Because what are they going to do? I mean, they, they the digital PS5, nobody can get that. It's like the Ark of the Covenant. We can't find it. <laughs> it's the Ark of and the Covenant. And then you got the, the, the main PS5 is $500. So they don't have a cheap unit out there. So you got the PS4. People are still playing it. It's one of the best-selling consoles of all time, and you still have new games coming on it. New game, like exclusives, like I said, Horizon and God of War will be on PS4. I almost feel like this was their only choice because they're not just going to leave all these people behind who can't get a PS5 because they are still extremely hard to get. And yeah, I mean, I think this is where Xbox is really scoring a win with the Series S. That was such a smart decision. It's like, yeah, they're in different regions of the world. Each system is selling differently. In some places, PlayStation's selling more. In some, it's the Xbox. But little by little, you're seeing in most of these regions, the Series S is just climbing up the charts and surpassing everything, only because it's such an easy point of entry. You know, it's the cheapest one out there. It's it's the, the cheapest way to get into next-gen their their game pass really really heavily supports this and right. yeah, it's basically just the game pass machine so yeah i mean i think uh sony had no choice but to keep producing at least some ps4s um cuz when you know god of war horizon those games come out th- they're going to want those sales they're going to want people being able to play those on last gen i think this is where nintendo and microsoft really hit a home run cuz nintendo did the same thing with the switch they have the switch light out there 199.99 to get into that ecosystem that is very cheap that's why i have one <laughs> but yeah sony just didn't have something so they had to just kind of call an audible last second like, right, let's get the ps4 out there again both sides had to make a call i think microsoft made the right call and i think sony's making the right call here and like you said they didn't really have a choice but it's the only choice they have, and it's a good call until they can figure out what they want to do going up against the Series S. This is just a temporary band-aid on the situation. 
my only disappointment is this just confirms that we're getting cross-gen games for a while. Because <laughs> I want yeah, those exclusive PS5 games where they can fully, fully utilize the hardware. And based on this, I think that shows we're probably not going to be getting that for a few years. If it wasn't for the damn chip shortage, I, I think they would have moved on a, a while ago. Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. You know what, though? I am so glad, you know, how I just traded in my PS4 and Xbox yes. One S to GameStop yes. for, like, a fucked... I got almost $500 with controllers. Dude, that was the perfect time to do that. I'm so glad you mentioned that, because I looked at the trade-in credit value when they announced that. It dropped a lot. It went down, I think, like, $65, $70, because before... They were giving people $220 in store credit for the 500 gigabyte base model PS4. I shit you not. That's how much of a demand there was to get something because people can't find PS5s. They're like, all right, I'll get a PS4. And GameStop didn't have enough in stock, so they started giving a lot of credit out. I did it. I traded in my base PS4, got the 220. Jacques had the PlayStation 4. Slim one terabyte. I think you got what, like two seventy or something for that. Um, I don't know if it was that high, but uh, they, it was they, definitely more than what mine that I do remember. They might have knocked off a little bit because, like, at least one of the controllers, the stick had like slight stick drift, but it wasn't much. Like, and, and you know what, Mike? Too is since I had almost five hundred dollars credit from that, I was going to get Ashley and Indy, and I know they don't want to hear this. I was going to get them either. A, I wanted a PS5 at first because that's like the, the money ticket right there, in my opinion. And I was going to get them a Series X, one of one or the other, if I could. But I settled on a Series S because that's the only one that you can get easily. Yeah, it's readily available everywhere. There you go, man. That's That's it right there. That's what we're talking about. My only issue with the Series S, and it's a, it's it's not really a small issue, but it's just one thing. It's not that it doesn't have a disk drive. I can get past that. I like the disk drive. I like having that option, but that's not a deal breaker for me. For me, it's the storage. I know you can manage 500 gigabytes. I did it for the longest time on my PS4 base model, so I know it's possible. But that's really the only thing against it. Other than that, I think it's a great system to have, and it's a great affordable way to get into current-gen gaming. Yeah, totally. But that's my only thing. If that doesn't bother you, and you want a series system, and you can't get the X, go get that S. It's worth it. Yeah, because, I mean, you're still getting up to 120 frames per second. You're getting 1440p resolution, which is more than enough. And, you know, the, the storage is not quite up to snuff but it's enough i mean if you can constantly like delete games and stuff if you have like a fast internet connection you're fine or or you could get an external drive that can store series games and you can swap back and forth like oh i don't want to delete this i'll put it on that external hard drive you could do that it'll save you money so you don't have to buy the proprietary extra storage that microsoft has what is it like 150 200 very pricey but you, you, yeah, you could probably pick up like a $70, $80 uh, external storage device to hold those series games and then just bring them back when you want them. 
I think that's one more positive that the Xbox has over the PlayStation is the external storage. No, you can do that on PS5. Oh, really? You can store games. You can store PS5 games on external, some external devices. I don't know if you can run them off those things, but I do know you can like save them on there for a later time and then bring them back over. Um, I think George does that with his console. It's crazy how both of these guys have different uh, strategies when it comes to uh, last gen. What do you guys think? You think Sony's doing the right thing? You think Microsoft's doing the right thing? Or are they doing the wrong thing? Let us know wherever on Instagram, wherever you want to message us. Just pick one. Send us a message. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Number three, and it's a quick one. Stalker 2 has been delayed. It will miss its previous release date of April 28th and instead be released on December 8th. You know, if you ask me, Jacques, I think this is probably going to be a 23 game. I have a feeling they're going to push it again. Oh, really? I don't think it's going to come out this year. Why do you say that? I have that feeling in my gut. I know that's not enough. But I've seen delays like this from other games in the past. There's usually another one that comes a little later on. Are they doing this because of the whole NFT thing? Oh, God. Yeah, I don't want to get into that, but I, I just I remember hearing something about them trying to implement that and then there was a community angry outcry and then they took it away was it that game yeah or was was. it something else no it was yeah they immediately retracted when they saw the outrage because you know we'll talk about this i'm sure during our topic in a little bit so i'll just save the nft stuff i know people are probably tired of hearing about nfts as much as i am but um as far as stalker 2 i think this game based on just trailers i've seen looks really good now if it lives up to that, we'll see. I think with the extra time, that'll be great for them to polish it off. And this will be coming to Game Pass day one. So mm-hmm. I, I will for sure be playing this. Yeah, same. Definitely. But yeah, like I said, it was a quick one. Moving on. Number four. Hitman 1, 2, and 3 will be on Xbox Game Pass January 20th. And that's when this episode goes live. Now, the new ones, I'm not talking about the OG ones from back in the day, not those. Yeah, I think they call it the World of Assassination Trilogy. Highly recommend these. I've beaten the first one. I really enjoyed it. I still got to beat the second one. And that's one of the reasons why I haven't started the third one, because I do have a copy of it. I just want to play the second one first, because I want to see how everything evolved the, the gameplay evolution in the trilogy. And I like playing things in order. I don't like jumping around. So at some point, I will get to Hitman 3. But if you've played the first two and you haven't played the third one yet, and you have an Xbox, this is your time. Get on Game Pass. Get that game. <laughs> yeah, this is an amazing get for Xbox because Hitman 3 just came out a year ago. And a lot of, a lot of people peg that as their game of the year. And uh, they said it's the best of the series. I suck at these games. I think I, I can't even get past the first level in the first game. <laughs> but they are amazing. Like the the level of like just things you can do in this game. It's pretty astounding. Mike, real quick. I Not now, but like later. I, at some point, I want you to go on YouTube and search Hitman 3 speedruns. 
or just any Hitman games. Like I, um, IGN has a series of uh, devs react to speedruns. There's this one level, somebody beat it in six seconds. <laughs> they literally just walked in the door, knew exactly where to shoot the dude, and then that was it. Yeah, there are some levels like that where if you know exactly where they are, you could do that, but that's not really fun. <laughs> it's not fun, but it's funny to watch. <laughs> but yeah, guys, January 20th, the Hitman games will be on Game Pass. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, they're available. You can stop listening to this and go do that and then come back and finish the show. But yeah, Jack, that's it. No more news. There wasn't really anything too crazy this week. I mean, the craziest thing we had was the the Xbox One and stuff and PS4s coming back. That was really it. Kind of glad. I, uh, then the slow week is nice because then we can spend more time on talking about games and topics and all that shit. Speaking of the topic, I think it's time to start that. And I think it's a good one. We're going to be talking about the future of video games. And I'm talking about like 20 years from now. Like, what's it going to look like? Could it be all Ready Player One shit? What do you think is the big thing that's going to be going on in the gaming industry? What is the new trend in uh, 2000? 43. <laughs> that's that's a long ways away. So just to preface, I will say that nobody fucking knows what's going to be happening in 20 years. Um, unless you're like some kind of actual psychic and you, you have knowledge. Um, but other than that, we're basically just throwing shit at the wall. They're just educated guesses. Because, you know, like, you watch some of the old shows and movies, and they had no fucking clue the internet was coming. So, there could be something like the internet that comes along, and we're just like, what? So, yeah, so this is just us taking stabs in the dark based on trends and things that are happening now, and we're extrapolating a little bit. Yeah, I don't know if there's one big thing, but I do think... A major area of advancement is going to be AI. Yep, I agree. And you can already see it in games. Like, the AI is getting more intelligent. They're getting better at, like, learning. The The algorithms are getting better. Um, I, I'm just really curious to see how that's going to be implemented in games. Uh, I think things are definitely moving more towards mobile. And also, like, technology is just getting smaller and smaller and cheaper and cheaper. Here's the thing, Jacques. For us to advance with all of this shit, there's one thing the United States... Let's just talk about America. So one thing they got to figure out. The internet infrastructure. There's still too many places where it's just shit. And if we're really going to advance... Or I should say, if we're really going to move away from the traditional consoles, like the the physical boxes and stuff, they got to get the internet right in most places. They got to get it right. We still have trouble streaming shit. Yeah, I agree. We're we're nowhere near places like, you know, um, I don't know, just some Asian countries. We're not nowhere near like their level of just base internet capabilities. Yeah, Japan. That's amazing there. Yeah, like South Korea. Uh, so, yeah, that is that is a huge hurdle. That is a good point. 
But honestly, who even knows if there's going to be a United States in 20 years, man, the way shit's going. It's probably going to be China. That's going to be China uh, 2.0. Okay, here's my prediction, Mike. In 20 years, Tencent owns everything, and we're all going to be playing, like, a communist dictatorship simulator. Sure, why not? On our Huawei phones. (laughs) This is when we start an underground society of the games we want to play. The games that are banned. We're going to be playing our call of duties and i don't know we're something. all going to be playing games to win nfts of potatoes to feed uh, our family <laughs> but to go back to the ai stuff there is one thing i want to see i don't think it's going to happen in 20 years but i really really want to see this imagine playing a role-playing game where you can actually have conversations with the ais in the game world yeah, like, uh, what was that thing that Peter Molyneux was trying to do that, do you remember that demo? Uh, Milo. Milo, yeah, which never materialized, which, shocker, Peter Molyneux, the project of his didn't materialize. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, um, it's something like that, yeah, where it could genuinely, like, interact with you like a person and uh, reply to things you're saying in the moment. People would get lost in that world. They'd be like, I don't like my friends in real life. I mean, I'm already at that point, but no, no. <laughs> that, that would be wild, though. Could you just imagine playing a Mass Effect and you can just have a conversation about anything oh. with any of the characters in it? Well, yeah, and just think of like, um, like say Ken Levine. <laughs> He's been in the news lately. I, I fucking love Ken Levine. I don't give a shit what people say. It's like, sure, yeah, whatever. His problems. He's maybe a bitch to work for. I don't care. Whatever. I'm not getting into that. But the man is a genius. He's responsible for the Bioshock series. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one in three, the good ones. But uh <laughs> the good ones, uh-oh. <laughs> Bioshock 2, shit, Jock confirms it. Um, But yeah, no, Ken Levine, so his game that he has been working on for like the past, I don't know, five, seven years, who knows. It's, uh, apparently it's, uh, people have seen it, and it's um really, really going to push the boundaries, like no game before, as far as what we're talking about, like, like the player really truly affecting the world like having tons of branching things emergent gameplay um that is not necessarily designed into the game but it's just something that can happen that you can figure out basically just really um personalizing each person's playthrough and i think ai is going to be a huge part of that my mind's racing right now i'm sorry i'm just thinking about liara with that kind of ai technology i i can't Oh, and you know, like his Ken Levine's game is going to be a sci-fi game that reportedly is taking place in space. Oh, I haven't really been following this. This is new to me. Holy shit. It's very exciting. Um, I don't know when that's going to come out. From what I hear, probably it's going to be a few more years. Yeah, that's fine. But, you know, things of this um, scope take time. So that's just how it is. Um, And then, of course... Dying Light 2, which is coming out next month, that's also been another game that is reported to be really pushing the boundaries and everything I was just talking about. Um, you know, they, they've been in the news lately with that whole like, oh, it's our game takes 500 hours to complete. Oh, and I don't know if pur- people purposely like misinterpret that because obviously anybody who's played a game realized that meant 100% completion and not the campaign itself. Right, right. But yeah, anyway, um, yeah, Dying Light 2. Looking forward to that as well. So yeah, we're just going to see, like, um, 
The AI is just getting better. I mean, I'm thinking about like how it could be implemented in VR as well. Like you're talking about having conversations with AIs. Well, imagine that in VR where it's like a ready player one type world. I'm never going to leave it then, especially if Liara is in there. I'm never going to leave. I know. I'm saying I'm the same way. It's um, if it can be really convincing, because I'm already spending a lot of time in video game worlds and the real world kind of sucks, to be honest, right now. And it's it's a nice escape. And um, as great as art is like this and, you know, creativity, I feel like it's also, you know, elite people at the top who are like very evil. You are using this stuff as an opportunity to just like suck more money out of us and uh, kind of keep us distracted. You know, I don't want to get too far into politics, but I think that that is also like a downfall of technology that emerges is it's always going to be used for bad purposes too. Um, So I'm kind of a little bit concerned about that, especially with like the growing influence of um, the Chinese communist party and like uh Tencent basically trying to acquire everything in gaming so they can influence how our games are made. I don't like that. That does worry me a little bit. China looming over the United States. Like like you said, I don't want to get political here, but that could be a big impact on the gaming industry in 20 plus years. You know, we were joking about it earlier, but they're sticking their foot through the door now. Yeah, for sure. I, I I think it's unavoidable that, you know, we have to include that in this talk um, because, yeah, I was like half joking, but kind of not because it seems like every other week, like Tencent is acquiring a big publisher. Um, and I think what did they recently, they just acquired Turtle Rock. They, uh, I think there was another one too. I can't remember, but yeah, man, they're just snatching them up and they are beholden to the Chinese Communist Party. So, like, yeah. it's it's a little bit different than the United States where there's a little more, like, freedom. They So they're going to push their agendas, man, and their agenda is not great. You know, they don't want, they don't like homosexuality. I, I totally disagree with that because I think, you know, let people do whatever the fuck they want despite what your thoughts on it are. It's like, you should not be trying to fucking censor that shit. I don't like censorship. It's bullshit, you know? I don't like people pushing, forcing their ideas on other people. And um, right. there's, there's lots of things, too. Like, they're, they're all about masculinity and stuff. And I don't think masculinity is bad. But it's to the point where it's like, you're just trying to push a singular agenda to try to program people. You're going to program a whole generation of kids into thinking this this nonsense. And that that worries me. One of our biggest mistakes here in the U.S., was outsourcing all of our production. Yeah, definitely. We're starting to see the effects of... Well, we, we've seen the effects of that for a while, but we're definitely starting to see that now. And uh, I think as the years pass by, we're definitely going to see that effect even more on the uh, video game industry. If we don't do anything about that, I don't know what 20 years is going to look like. I don't know what we can do, but I feel like it's unavoidable at this point. The only thing that's going to stop it is these actual publishers taking a stand and saying, no, we don't want to work with you. And I just don't see that happening because they're all too greedy. This is is the problem when you see our capitalism get out of control is it's like, it's all about the money above everything else. And you just sell your soul to the devil, basically. I've been hearing it's getting more expensive to make stuff in China. And some companies are 
looking at other options in other places now. So there is that. I know it's not cheap for uh, Sony to get the PS5s out of there. I also don't like how Remedy, one of our favorite public or developers, recently signed some kind of deal with Tencent as well. Mm-hmm. Don't like that. But anyways, uh, back to the you know the future of gaming. You know, I know that's a part of the conversation, but you know if we stay on that any longer, we're going to be here for. A while. Yeah, <laughs> a I think long we should move just... on to like get back to like the actual technical yes. aspects, like the technology and stuff. So, I'm just going to straight up ask you this: Do you think there's going to be a PS7 around that time? It doesn't have to be a physical box. You think right. there's there's going to be something that says PlayStation Seven? I know Xbox has been, there's been talk of them like putting Game Pass on smart TVs. Mm-hmm. So I could yeah. see something like that with PlayStation as well and all these companies where it's not so much about the actual hardware anymore, where, you know, the boxes, it's like just getting their services, you know, out on all these other platforms and devices. And so I could see it moving that way. But like I was saying earlier, I think everything's kind of moving towards mobile too, getting smaller. Like I think the mobile gaming market is the biggest market in gaming, which you know, right. much to my chagrin, I don't like mobile gaming. No, God, I hate it. Ugh. There's a few good games here and there. I know there's like Monument Valley and shit like that, but for the vast majority of the mobile market, it's just it's just garbage. Yeah, it's not to say there aren't good mobile games, but I feel like most of them are just designed to, to fucking take your money repeatedly forever. Like, they just keep you locked in, addicted. And I think yeah, there's way yeah. too many um, risks with children being having access to phones and just, like, going crazy with microtransactions. And Yeah, we didn't have that when we were growing up with the Super Nintendo. There wasn't no credit card option inside the games and things like that. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Could you imagine? I'm so glad because that'd, <laughs> that'd be bad. Yeah, I think mobile is going to be a huge market going forward. Now, it's that's fine if you like mobile games. Like More power, too. I just happen to think most of them are like creatively bankrupt. But if you have fun playing those, man, don't let me uh, don't let me rain on your parade. I'm just giving you my opinion. That's all I can do. Um, now, do I think consoles will even still exist? I don't know, man. It's hard to say because people have been saying for the past, like, generation or two like oh this is the last generation of consoles and yet it's not so i i still think for a while there's going to be a market for actual physical consoles and it's really just a generational thing because Mm -hmm. our generation grew up with consoles like nintendo so we're used to that but i do think the younger generations like you know zoomers and Whatever else, man. I don't even know the fucking names of these generations anymore. I I can't keep track. Yeah, I'm like an elder millennial. I'm going to be like 37 in March, so I'm kind of at the tail end of that. But, um, well, I'd actually be at the forefront. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's moving more towards PC as well. Like, more and more younger Uh people are getting PCs and less about the actual consoles. So I think probably starting, yeah, with that generation, it's, um, and then with Twitch and everything too, it's like, PC gaming is just going to become more popular. There, there. I've always talked about this for a while. There's going, there is a bubble. Like I know it seems like gaming is just never going to end. Like it's the 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 golden era. I call it right now. It's of console gaming, and it, but eventually every bubble bursts, and I think it's probably going to come at the hands of these greedy fucking corporations, these greedy publishers. There, there's going to be breaking points where. 
people are just like, you know what? Fuck this shit. Like, we're going to find alternatives. 20 years from now, EA is going to be the one that's for the community and everybody else is going to be uh, money hungry. <laughs> Could you imagine if it like flipped like that? All the bad shit EA has done in the past and then all of a sudden they're like the the last one standing. Dude, if EA is the last beacon of hope in gaming, like, oh boy, we're in trouble. I mean, <laughs> EA's definitely improved a bit, but yeah, they're they're not like they, I don't want them at the forefront of the gaming industry. No, no. Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, I I hope that there's consoles still in twenty years, but it, I really can't say. I will say this: you'll definitely get a PlayStation Six. I am confident that there's going to be a physical box PlayStation Six. Seven and up, that's where it gets weird. We don't know. It's too far. I I wanted to mention NFTs again, too. <laughs> Uh-oh. Let me go uh, punch myself in the face while you talk about this. <laughs> and, like, you know, I, I'm not going to totally share N- NFTs because I have friends that are into NFTs, and, you know, I'm not trying to anger them or whatever, rub them the wrong way. I personally am not quite sure yet how I feel about NFTs because mainly because I don't even fucking understand what they are truly like. So that's the thing. I I recognize my own ignorance on a, on a surface level. I'm like, this is fucking stupid. Like I've had yet for anyone to explain to me the necessity of these things. So recently Konami had this, NFT auction and they sold some Castlevania art for like some of them went for like 20 grand I don't even know it was absurd and I think you're you're clearly seeing right now like publishers are trying to push these NFTs heavily like they want to make this a thing so that worries me right there because anytime a publisher is like oh this is good for you wink wink I'm like it's (laughs) probably the opposite of that (laughs) you just want my money but I also recognize my own blind spots and I'm like, a lot of technologies start out like this. It's in its infancy. You don't quite get fully what it can do yet, but it might have some really cool uh, applications in the future. We don't know. Yeah. But I think it's up to the people pushing all this stuff to really sell that to us and show us what it can do besides just, oh, a JPEG of a monkey or something, which is what it is right now to me. Yeah, they got to show us the benefits of it and what it could do for the industry and how it can push it forward. And but right now, it just looks like a scam to me. They haven't really explained it well to us yet. And then uh, let's see. So we covered uh, VR, AI, NFTs, mobile. Like, what else is there? No consoles. Um... You think we'll still be using traditional controllers in 20 years? Yeah, probably. As long as there's consoles, I don't because I've seen already when you know companies have tried to introduce different uh, peripherals and stuff, they don't really seem to catch on as much as just basic controllers. And I think that once again goes to a generational thing. Possibly, I think that we're just we grew up with controllers, and that's how we see video games: a console and a controller, and that's it. Now I think they can be more than that, but I think it's going to take some time. It's going to take a long time because even the young generation like using controllers. If they're not PC guys, like they love using the controllers. So I don't know when they're going to be able to completely shift away from it. I really think these attachments to your mobile phones, these controllers, like the Kishi, the Razer Kishi, and like... That's a step. Yeah, all these other ones are coming out. I think that's going to be a big thing going forward. 
goes back to the internet thing. We got to get that internet right. Which I really don't see us improving our infrastructure that much. They'd have to rebuild everything from the ground up, and they don't want to, like, spend the money to rewire everything. They just don't. Not to get too much in the politics again, but, you know, for those of you that live outside the United States, our government is, as it appears to you guys, a fucking shit show. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last, I know they, they give us, you know, niceties and they, they placate us like, yeah, sure, we'll fix the, the infrastructure. Yeah, no, yep. And then when they get in office, it's like, nope, not doing that. So I, I really just don't, they kind of just, you know, we have the two parties and they kind of just twiddle their thumbs and argue back and forth. And the the bottom guy just gets screwed in the end, as always, we, we never, nothing really truly improves in a drastic way. So yeah, I have no hope for that. Uh, I think that is just going to, that that problem is just going to worsen over time as, um, China's influence grows, and meanwhile, our infrastructure is archaic. Um, it's it's really hard to look into twenty years from now. It is ten years is hard, let alone twenty. Just look at the movie industry; how much it's changed, like with the CGI in the twenty right. plus years, like streaming. Like yeah. Netflix came and just fucking dominated, and now everyone followed suit. Everyone's got their own streaming service. Yeah, they started as a as a get it in the mail program. Yeah, you know, get your movies and DVDs in the mail. You got to wait a week to. I mean, we had that back. Yeah, in the day. I was I subscribed we, to we them were, back when they did the the fucking physical discs. It was awesome. Yeah, we used to get two movies at a time. Yeah, and then like once people saw how easy streaming was, we're like, oh shit! Well, that's gonna be the thing going forward. So who knows? Like, what will come along in video games? Or like, well, nope, that's the new bar now. I mean, just look at who would have ma- imagined the capabilities of cloud back in 2001. Mm. And we're, we're still seeing like what that is capable of. We still haven't quite, I know Kojima, there's a rumor that he's got that game coming from Xbox where he's going to use their cloud to really do something cool. Right. So that that's another thing that could change how the way games are actually designed. Yeah, I think I think we'll wrap it up. This is definitely there's a lot more to be said, but we're kind of just touching on this right now. I think we could definitely revisit this topic in the future. I agree. I would love to hear Indy's thoughts on this. Like yes. what's gonna happen in twenty years and all that shit. This was a good one. I I really had a good time with this. Uh I know it took us a while to to figure out a topic, but the one we decided to do worked out. This this was great. You know, I'm also kind of curious about Asha's thoughts, too, with her having worked yeah. in a video game development and her being like an right. artist. And like, how does she see that side of gaming changing the design aspects of it? I mean, everybody's going to have a different uh, response for this because we don't know. We're just throwing shit at the wall. <laughs> we have no idea what's going to happen. We live in an era now where it's like, you know, artists can just create their own following on social medias and be pretty huge. And some of them might even get jobs at some of these companies. So, like, how does that, like, how, what kind of different artists are you getting, you know? How could that change the landscape? How, how will the, uh, the, the tools, like, becoming more re- readily available for indie developers, how will that change uh, the yeah. way games are made? And Game Pass, will Game Pass still be around? Probably, but they might put a different name on it. Maybe. I don't know. Companies are always changing names for things. 
anything's possible after what Disney did to 20th Century Fox. Now it's just 20th Century Studios. What, Mike, <laughs> this just came to me. What if, like, say, all of the big wigs in the gaming industry, Nintendo, Sony, Xbox, mm-hmm. maybe even some of the big publishers, you know, like Ubisoft, Square Enix, Take-Two, whatever, maybe they all get together and form some kind of, like, uh, cable thing or, like, Hulu, where it's, like, just one big streaming service and you pay... Uh, <clears throat> like a large subscription fee, almost like you would for a cable. Like, I don't know. I'm just going to say like 80 bucks a month. I have no idea. But what if they did something like that? And then they, there's no more consoles and that just becomes the thing where it's like all streaming. Yeah. I mean, anything's possible. I I, I can see that happening. And it's just, you know, it's just crazy. I guess we're going to find out. I mean, when I'm uh 50 <laughs> in my fifties. <laughs> There's no, there's certainly going to be more consolidation because it's definitely headed that way. I think you're going to have less publishers and yeah, just the few, just like the movie industry, you're just going to have the few big ones and they're going to put out everything. So yeah, I don't know that, but yeah, we can, uh, we can move on to our surprise mechanics, Mike. Yeah, Jacques, let's do that. Let's move on to surprise mechanics. All right. So if you're new to the show, surprise mechanics is where Jacques and me bring something completely random to the table. It could be a video game discussion, a movie review, trivia, maybe some crazy encounter at Walmart. Uh, it could literally be about anything. Jacques doesn't know what I have up my sleeve. I don't know what the hell he's going to do. So that's why we call it Surprise Mechanics. So Jacques, what's your surprise mechanic this week? Uh, mine is, and I think you're really, really, really going to like this, Mike. So last night, I finally decided to watch The Time Machine. Oh. And it's funny that you mentioned The Time Machine earlier when we were talking about Halo. Now, this goes way back to... Which episode did we... I forgot to look, but it was like one of the surprise mechanics, and you said that you wanted me to watch The Time Machine from 1960. Yes, the 60s one. So when I eventually was going to get around to it, I it was on HBO Max... But I just waited too late and it was taken down. But I noticed recently it got put back up. So I was like, oh, shit, I got to jump on this. So, yeah, I watched it. And I got to say, Mike, I actually liked it. It was enjoyable. It's impressive for 1960. I, I can't say that enough. The the time traveling effects, and I, I've seen the making of the movie. It, it was so complicated what they had to do to make it look like that. And, and now you look at it now, you're like, what? come on, it's compared to the new shit. Like, but go back to 1960, that shit was very, very impressive, the way they went about doing it. It was, because, yeah, sure, like you said, it's a lot of this shit's hokey now. But you got to think, this is like 60 years ago. So it, it, I was impressed. I was. And I'm, I don't know if they remastered this, Mike. They did, a little bit. I figured, because I was like, damn, this picture quality is crisp for 1960. Yeah, they HD'd the shit out of it. There was a few scenes in the movie, because I saw it not that long ago, the uh, the Blu-ray copy of it. There's a few scenes they couldn't HD. You could yeah. tell. I'm sure you picked I noticed. it up. Like, oh, yeah, I it was just like footage they probably couldn't fix. They're like, oh, forget Yeah, there's it. one where they get like a close-up of someone's face, and it just gets all grainy and shit, and you're like, eh. But uh, overall, man, yeah, like they use scale model shit, which is really funny in some parts where it's like the streets are like, 
you know, explosions and stuff when he goes to like the future toy cars and shit. Yeah, yeah. Toy cars and like, but yeah, no, the, so when it first started, you know, you got the, the guys, four guys in the room talking and I was like, eh, I don't know about this, man. Some of this acting is a little hammy, a little over the top. And that that's kind of like some of the older movies. That's what I don't like is the acting is not great. It reminds me it's of a like a, yeah. yeah, it reminds me of like a, some like bad stage plays where it's like you have to overact almost to project to the back of the theater. But man, the, the Rod Taylor, the main actor, he's pretty good. Good actor, I gotta say. He wasn't in enough action films. He did mostly romantic stuff. And I was like, damn, like he's really good in this. Which is crazy because I'm like, dude, I could totally this totally see this guy being like the Henry Cavill of his day, you know? Yes. He, he's he he's very like handsome, you know, got a great jawline. He's fucking good the actor with a lot of depth. Yeah, so I think that this movie has a, despite its corniness, it has a still very, very relevant social messages. Mm-hmm. Even to today, like it, I was like, why surprised it almost prophetic. I was like some of the things are when he goes to the, the Morlocks timeline and you see all the, like the, the dumbed down kids and stuff and how they're all like, you know, we don't read anymore. And the books just turned to dust. And I'm like, Ooh, it's a little too close to home. <laughs> they're being controlled by like these Morlocks underground they actually feed them and shit. You know when all the food's on the table there? That's the yeah. Morlocks putting the food down. Yep. Yeah, they supply. Well, it's basically that timeline was kind of like an allegory for modern times where it's like the the Morlocks kind of represent the like evil corporations and stuff. The, the people at the top kind of controlling everything and keeping us in line. They give us nice things and they kind of distract us with all this, these nice things. and But they keep us dumb. So I thought that was cool. There's a lot of like, uh, and I don't know if some of this stuff was intentional, but there's a lot of kind of subtle things they hint at about like, oh, what could this future be like? Or, you know, when all the kids are kind of walking in groups, I kind of noticed like uh, two females would be next to each other. They wouldn't quite be holding hands, but the way the camera was, they would all, they would be almost like touching arms like they were about to. I've noticed to. that. And I was like, for 1960, I wonder if this film was trying to push like cuz it's very progressive like this is a very progressive film homosexuality was not looked upon as it is now like 60 years ago it, it was, was more, hidden in the 60s and in the past yeah yeah it was more hidden so i'm wondering if that was like a subtle way to show like hey like we're okay with homosexuality in the future like it's natural it's fine so there was that and then there was also um there was something else that I noticed, and I'm trying to remember what it was. By the way, this movie is a little bit closer to the book, and that's why people prefer this movie over the uh, 2002 one, where it just kind of went all over the place. Like it was, there were some weird creative choices in the Guy Pierce film. But yeah, anyway, continue. I now I got to go back and watch that Guy Pierce one again because I've only seen it once, and that was before this one. So yeah, I want to go back and see that. And then going back to, like, the Morlocks timeline, when they finally reveal the Morlocks, like, well, they do it slowly. It's very, like, you don't know what they look like at first. And there's this one part where, like, the main guy's, uh, George, is talking to this girl, Weena, and all of a sudden, like, this blue arm reaches out of the bushes and grabs her. 
Yeah, and when yeah. I saw it, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and then when you finally see them, it's literally just guys painted blue with like Halloween masks on. No, they do have a costume on. There is like a light, thin layer of uh, whatever the hell they put on them. They okay. put little LED lights like in their eyes and shit. To make them glow. As corny, and they do look corny, but as corny as they look, if you go look around at other shit from 1960 and down, it looks pretty decent because right. there is some really hokey shit in sci-fi in the 50s. Yeah, stuff. you really got to take <laughs> yeah. into context the time then in which it was made, which I did. That's why I gave it some slack. So like George, you know, the main character, he's an inventor, like he invented the time machine and, you know, we'll talk about the time machine itself in a minute, but the, uh, dude, the, the scene when he goes down into the Morlocks underground area to try to rescue all the kids, the paintings on the walls, all my, the matte paintings, the backgrounds, (laughs) like, uh, it's so clearly like they're on a sound stage and they just built like a a stage area. Yeah. This movie was on a tight budget. Um, they wanted to film it in England. But they couldn't. I mean, in the beginning portions of the movie, they wanted to actually film it in England, but they didn't have the money. So they're like, oh, boy. And then when Arier's like what he's describing right now, it's just, yeah, we're like, oh, we don't have the budget. Just put something back there. Let me tell you, Mike, when you're watching this scene at 2 a.m. in the morning and you're stoned out of your gourd and George basically takes down the whole entire system with karate chops and fire... It's the greatest goddamn thing you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it, it is hilarious. I love those parts. People uh, complain about it. It's like, how is this guy beating all these dudes up? But there is a uh, a good explanation. I don't know if, if the writer mentioned this in the movie or somebody else who is behind the team that made it, but the Morlocks have been underground for so long that their bones are brittle. They don't fight. They don't. They never fight because the Eli, don't, they don't fight them back. So they are completely thrown off by this guy. Like, holy shit, somebody's fighting us. And <laughs> Yeah, right, because everyone just falls in line, and he's not used, they're not used to that. And that's also why their eyes glow, I assume, because they're adapted to the darkness. They can probably see better in the dark, which is a cool detail. But it, yeah, it just looks so goofy, man. I, I loved it, though, because it was so corny. Like, they were actually yeah, doing, just like... throwing guys off the rocks and shit, yeah. <laughs> Dude, he, like, press-slammed a Morlock. I'm like, they're doing pro wrestling. <laughs> this is great. I love it. Um, I just wanted to mention one other scene too, back in the earlier part of the movie, I thought was hilarious is, uh, well, two, I'll mention two. So his best friend, George's best friend, David, when he gets to the, the early future, like just 17 years, because this movie takes place in 1900. So he, he's just kind of testing out at first, going a little bit into the future and then a little bit more. And it kind of progresses till eventually he's like 800,000 years in the future with the Morlocks. But so this, when he's only 17 years in the future, he, he encounters his best friend again, right? He, he thinks it's his best friend. He goes up to him and he's, and the, the guy's like, oh no, you must be confusing me with my father. The same actor looks the same. He just shaved his mustache. Yeah. Pretty bad. I think I know the difference between an 18 year old dude and a 40 year old man standing before me trying to pass as the son he should have went into the future just a little bit more. It would have probably made a little bit more sense. Yeah, like maybe like 1930, 40, something like that. I, I was just laughing my ass off. I'm like, that is hilarious. But, uh, and then there, the one more thing was like the mannequin that he watches out the window. 
So I thought that was a cool idea to try to show the passage of time. While he's in the time machine, you just see things like flickering by and like Yeah. Um so the mannequin was like his focal point, like the styles of the the dresses on the mannequin just kept changing as the time goes by. So I thought that was a neat idea until you think about it a little more and you're like the same mannequin. How is this same mannequin in the same store still around like a hundred years in the future? I don't know. Well, it, was, it, was it like, wasn't that uh, much. 50 it was like 50 years. or 60 years. Yeah. But yeah. but still, I was yeah. like, eh, that's okay. It would have to be like a family run business. And that mannequin has just been there for so long. They just keep using it. Well, if you notice in the future, like that store is Philby's, his best friend. Like I think. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm pretty sure that was the same store. So yeah, that would make sense. Now. The main thing, the time machine itself. What did you think of that? Because this is where a lot of the budget went, was in that machine. Yeah, I can tell. Because it's a practical prop. So, yeah. I mean, like, Rod Taylor is actually controlling the thing for the yeah, most yeah. part. There's certain things that's actually not on the machine. You know, when they show the first person view of the uh, dash, it doesn't look like that on the actual machine. That is a separate piece they had to film, which is something uh, people actually correct. When they build a new machine now, they, they will put the actual dash and shit that you saw in the movie. But it wasn't actually on the prop in the film. But pretty much the whole machine is operated by Rod, by Rod Taylor himself, which is pretty damn cool. I mean, it's very cool. It's very bizarre looking. It um it just looks weird enough to be like you can accept it as an actual time machine. I like how he has that little lever that he can unscrew and take with yes. him. It's almost like a, a keys to your Key. vehicle. Yeah. I I guarantee you too, Mike, that dash you're talking about where it has the date, guarantee you Back to the Future stole that idea. Yeah, I think they did. They had to have. The thing I really like about the machine, though, is the Victorian steampunk design it has. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it definitely looks like something that could be made during that time period he's in. Yeah. That's a big problem I have with the 2002 movie. Guy Pierce's character builds this thing in like two, three years. Sure, he becomes a hermit and lives in his house, never leaves and shit. But then when you see the actual machine, and while it's impressive looking as a movie prop, it doesn't look like it was made in 1900. It looks like something way more advanced for the time. And, and I won't even get into that too much because that that size of that machine created a huge problem making that movie because it weighed like three, 4,000 pounds and they couldn't really move it around. Yeah. <laughs> this, this thing in the 60 movie, you can move it around. It's, it's light. You can move that thing around. Yeah. Well, you notice that the Morlocks like drag it to their, their little whatever. So is it almost like a sled? Like it has, like you can pull it. But I love the sounds of it. I, I, it's not the actual sounds on the machine. That's all the tricks and stuff that they were doing. But the, the sounds of the machine's really cool, and it's traveling through time. Very unique with how they had to go about doing that. Yeah, I just love that design. There's just something about it. There's a reason why it gets brought up a lot. When it comes to like the most popular time machines that exist, it's always the DeLorean. That's number one, the Back to the Future DeLorean. Number two is the TARDIS from Doctor Who, because it can't go through time and shit. And then it's this one. Like, nothing else comes close. I guess you can throw the Guy Pierce one in there, just because it's impressive looking. But Maybe the uh, Bill and Ted phone booth, too. <laughs> I mean, it's a phone booth, though. Come on. Like, I mean, the TARDIS, at least, yeah, it looks like a phone booth or something. But you can go in it, and it's like this massive ship inside and everything. Yeah. Come on, the Bill and Ted thing, they just stuck a little wire thing on top of a phone. <laughs> Let's be honest. It's, yeah, no, it's it, it, was, it was cool. It was impressive for the time. And, you know, Mike, I couldn't help but thinking of our Minecraft world we built 
where you actually, you and a bunch of others built a gigantic version of that time machine? Yeah, I'll uh, share a picture of that on Instagram at some point. I think I have it somewhere. Don't have the world anymore, but I do have some screenshots of it, like a prototype version, but it's close to the one we did, the final one we finished. Uh, Because I'm a huge fan of the book, read the original book. It's one of my favorite books of all time. I love H.G. Wells' stories. He's one of the sci-fi pioneers. Him and Jules Verne. Don't forget about Mary Shelley, man. Frankenstein is technically might be the first official sci-fi. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, the list goes on. Yeah. That's it, Mike. I mean, we should probably move on. Um, but yeah, man, I I was surprised because when I first started the movie, I was like, eh, I don't know about this with this acting. But yeah, man, I mean, I grew to like it. So I'm, I'm happy I watched it. But what what is your surprise mechanic, Mike? And it's something that just happened recently i went to my local grocery store you know to do my shopping so when i went down the cereal bread aisle this guy walks up to me and he says hey i like your uh your sweater or hoodie that you're wearing and i looked down and i didn't even realize i was wearing the boba fett hoodie that i have so i was like oh yeah yeah boba fett yeah it's cool you know one of my favorite star wars characters and blah 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 so we started talking for like a minute and now I don't believe this at all. Let me just make that very clear. He said he's a Disney stockholder and he, he looks like he could be somebody important, but he reveals I'm a Disney stockholder and I could tell you there's a lot of plans going forward with Boba Fett. And as he's walking away, he turns around and he kind of looks down both aisles and he says, I'm not supposed to say this, but in 2025, they have plans to make a Luke Skywalker show. And then he walked away. Now, I just want to make it very clear. I don't believe this guy, but it was a very interesting encounter. <laughs> and then it was revealed that he was a time traveler from the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Jump back in his time machine. Now, when 2024 rolls around, and if Disney announces a Luke Skywalker show for 25, I'm going to look back on this moment and I'm going to be like, holy shit, that guy was for real. Possible, I guess, but it's super highly unlikely. But I do live on Long Island and these kind of people tend to walk around freely around here. Like there's celebrities will just walk in stores and shit. I haven't personally seen any, but I know my sister has met like Ben Stiller and like Adam Sandler, but just them walking into like shops and shit. So is it possible he's a Disney stockholder and he has information? Sure. But if that is true, I, I, I don't want a Skywalker show. I don't want a Luke Skywalker show. Like that's enough. I don't either, but it seems like that's highly likely because first of all, we have the Obi-Wan show coming. I don't know, maybe in the next couple years, and it's been reported that a young Luke Skywalker is going to be in that because it makes sense. Um, I mean, really young, like child Luke Skywalker. And then so if, after that show, sometime you said 2025, I could see them being like, okay, well, now we're going to show like a little more grown up, like after Return of the Jedi. When he was walking away and he told me that, he said, yeah, they have big plans for Luke Skywalker. Big, big plans. Well, and it makes sense, too, because I, I, you know, after, well, 
I don't want to give spoilers away for the Mandalorian season two since it's still fairly new, but right. th- there was a huge reveal at the end of that, and uh, I, a lot of people were excited about that, and I think that probably uh, piqued Disney's uh, interest a little bit. I just want to see different things. I'm not saying never make this ever, but I, I just hope we're getting other unique live action things, maybe even out of this timeline. I mean, I'm enjoying Boba Fett, I'm enjoying The Mandalorian, and I'm going to probably enjoy Obi-Wan and the Ahsoka show. I don't know if I'm ready for a Luke Skywalker show yet, but I don't know. And I also think Disney's obviously trying to get back to original trilogy stuff, clearly, yeah. with like Boba Fett and all this other stuff, because they've seen the the negative reception to the sequel trilogy so I, I definitely, and they're trying, they're trying to move away from it a little bit, you know, the High Republic stuff, which I'm, I'm happy about that because then we'll, because I, I am tired of the Skywalkers. We've seen enough already. Come on, man. Yeah, I just want new stories. Sure, they can still be in the timeline. That's fine, like what they're doing right now. But I don't need any more Skywalker. Okay, Obi Wan. All right, I think Ewan McGregor needs another chance because he's a really good actor and I don't think we saw his full potential with his Obi-Wan character. I do think he deserves another shot. Hayden Christensen too. Give them the eight episodes they need and then we can move on. I can't wait to see a more gritty Obi-Wan because these shows seem to be a little bit more uh, mature. Yeah, I feel like we could just get like one season of Obi-Wan and that would be fine. Just tell that story, give them another shot at it. And then move on. And I really, I mean, I'm sure people would love a Luke Skywalker show if they did it when, you know, he's full on Jedi Master. That's fine. I'm not going to say I wouldn't watch it because I'd for sure watch it. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. But just, yeah, overall, man, just move away from the Skywalkers. Give us some new stories and new worlds. Revan. <laughs> oh, we'll get Revan. I guarantee you they have plans for Revan. But yeah, that's my surprise mechanic. Uh, short, but uh, interesting. Was that guy a time traveler? Is he an actual Disney stockholder? I don't know, but I guess time will tell. Yeah, let us know in the comments if you think that guy was a time traveler. <laughs> Better have a cool looking time machine. That's all I know. <laughs> Gotta have that. But yeah, I think that's it for the episode, Jacques. This has been a really fun one. Uh, I wasn't expecting a time machine surprise mechanic. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, man. I knew you'd like it. I'm always down to talk about that movie, and there's so much more I could say about that film, but maybe another time. Do I have to go over the social media shit again, Jock? Can we just skip that this time? Eh, just, you know what? Like, I think I'm going to start putting our link tree in the description of the podcast. So, you can, you know, yeah. you can just go down there and like check out our link tree if you haven't already. And going forward, we're not going to have long social media sections in the beginning. Going forward, it's going to be quick, 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 bang, bang. All right, that's it. Let's go. Let's move on. Yeah, we're, we're just going to be like, yeah, check out our link tree in the description. And we might here and there highlight a certain platform like our Twitch or YouTube or whatever. But that that's going to be it. Because we have way too many now. Like we're on YouTube, Twitch, TikTok even now. Uh yeah, it's well, too I don't much. think TikTok is live yet, but that's coming. I just want to say I fucking hate TikTok, but 
I gave my blessing because it's like, you know, you got to get your name out there. So it is what it is. And, and fucking, you know what? While I'm at it, hey, all my friends, I love you guys. Stop fucking sending me TikToks, please. <laughs> He's talking about George. Well, no, George. There's other people too, but I, I love George. I love all you guys. But yeah, just fucking stop sending me TikToks. I think they're fucking a waste of fucking time and just dumbing us down. But anyway. You shouldn't have said that because now everybody's going to send you TikToks now. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, it's the rule on the internet. Don't tell people your weaknesses or they'll just... Yeah, that, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I, I did want to say one last thing, too. This episode was kind of last minute, so I'm glad it came together so well. Originally, we were going to do our Game Awards this week, yes. but uh, Indy and Ash we're going to have a possible power outage on the day we recorded. So we just decided to do me and Mike this time. But next week, we are 100% sure we're going to do the Game Awards. I, I don't care if it's like snowing, fucking blizzard of the century. We're doing this Game Awards next week. So if the power goes out, we're just going to have to jerry-rig something like a MacGyver power and get it going. So we can a generator. <laughs> That's how much we love you guys. We're, we're willing to fucking oh. use a backup generator to finish the podcast. Yeah, it wasn't only that. Uh, Indy's waiting on a, a certain part he needs for his microphone, so he didn't have that either. So it was just not a good time to do the uh, episode. But next week, next week, ninety percent sure. I'll say ninety percent. It should be the Game Awards episode. Thanks again, guys, for listening. Once again, I'm Mike. I'm Jacques. And we will catch you in the next episode. Take care, guys. And stay safe. <laughs>